Well, is this on? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? We, we got sound? We wired for sound? Awesome. Fantastic. It is so good to be here. Are you excited? I don't know. No, no. Are you excited? See, see, I have this thing whenever I'm in the presence of Jesus, I can't help but just burst out with excitement and passion. Is that you? Well, hopefully, hopefully by the end of church, you know, here's the thing, you know, England, we, we had the Olympics in Australia in the year 2000. Um, am I loud enough? I don't feel like I'm loud enough that yeah, a bit louder. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, good. That's yeah, that's where we want to be. So, uh, so we had the Olympics in Australia in the year 2000 and for the, for a nation, it was just amazing. And, and at that time, you know, I believe that there's that principle where something happens in the natural precedes what God does in the supernatural. And, uh, you know, there was just God's hand was on our nation. The eyes of the world were on Australia. At that same time, a small church named Hillsong, maybe you've heard of it, was starting to have a bit of influence. I know, amen. And started to have a bit of influence. Now, wherever I go, wherever I've been around the world, wherever you will go around the world, there will be a Hillsong song sung somewhere. Now, that's just one church that God's hand, a local church that God's put his hand on. But here's the thing. God just did amazing things within the church in that nation. And I believe we are in the nation. Look, we got sirens. It's all happening this morning. I believe we are in this nation for such a time as this. We've had the Jubilee. We've had the Olympics. God is opening up doors for the church to have a voice and a place in this nation like never before. And I am so excited. And so you are in the best season ever. So you should be excited to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. And so I just, I'm so excited about what God is doing in this nation. And the Olympics, you know, I think what it gave us, you guys did pretty good, didn't you? Anyone, anyone cheer and get excited? You know, when Chris, when that team won that cycling medal, even I shed a tear. My dad was born in England. I have a British passport, so there's a bit of British in me. So whenever Australia, you're losing the ashes, I pull out the British passport. <laughs> stand up in church and go, we won! They go, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but here's what I saw through the Olympics. I saw a nation of passion. I saw a nation that cast off restraint, undignified, and said, yes, Great Britain! So don't dare sit in church and do this. If we can get excited about a gold medal and people in stands shout and cheer and cheer at our television going, go, go, cycle, cycle, run, swim. Well, you didn't do that good in the swim, but neither did we. But if if we can do that, how much more should we get passionate and excited? For Jesus Christ, who said, nail those nails to my hands because I love you. For a saviour that said, I'll give it all for you. So that you could be reunited with God, the Father who loves you so much. Isn't that awesome? Come on, let's give Jesus a shout of praise in this place. Jesus, we love you. You know, I just, I just can't help but get excited when I think of Jesus. I don't know about you, but if you, if you kind of aren't excited enough, you need to fire yourself up. You need to just stand in the mirror and just shout praise. Praise brings a breakthrough in your life. Amen. I find the moment I feel not lo- my flesh will not want to praise, that's the moment I need to praise. 
And as I start to lift up the name of Jesus, all of a sudden the circumstances change, the atmosphere. See, faith is an atmosphere. Now, do you remember the story in the Bible? There's a story of a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was short in stature. He was a short man and he, and he couldn't see Jesus through the crowd. He was looking for Jesus. The, the, wherever Jesus went, there were just crowds. He was famous because people had heard about his healings. And he couldn't see. And he's jumping, trying to see where Jesus was. But the Bible says he climbed up a tree and he positioned himself so that he could see Jesus when he walked past. The Bible says that as Jesus got to the place where Zacchaeus was, he stopped and he looked up. He didn't know Zacchaeus was there, but he was stirred by faith. Whenever you position yourself in a position of faith, you get Jesus' attention. Come on now. Whenever you rise up in faith to believe that God can do what he says he's going to do, all of a sudden the atmosphere of your life changes and you get God's, you get the, he- you get the attention of heaven. I believe if there is a church, and I believe God is raising it up right across this nation, and here in Ilkeston, come on, Ilkeston. Never heard of it before until I met Phil Pye, but I've been here many times now. My car knows the way to Ilkeston. But when there is a church that rises up in faith, you know, my definition of faith is simply this, that we believe that God will do what he says. Really, that's what it comes down to. In every circumstance in your life, every decision you will face, it comes down to this. Will you believe that God will do what he says he will do? If you don't believe that, then you'll live in doubt and unbelief and you'll live a Christianity that is struggling, that feels weighty and that you'll constantly just be feeling like you're hitting barriers. All right? That's not the Christianity I want to live. Sometimes I live there, but I don't want to live there. It's not what Jesus died for me to live in. But if I read God's word and I understand, because how does faith come by? Faith comes by? As I read God's word, as I spend time in his presence and I hear his word, then I know what his word says. So it doesn't matter what circumstance I face, I can stand and say, God, the circumstance, the facts might look like this, but your word says, you've said to me this, and I'm going to believe that you can do what you say. And if you live a life that says, I'm going to believe what God will do, what he says he will do then you will find you are living in an atmosphere of faith and breakthrough will come every time. Amen? It's not hyper faith. But you know, who finds Christianity easy? It's not a trick question. Come on. (laughs) Who finds Christianity hard? All right. Who's not putting their hand up? (laughs) You're not putting your hand up. (laughs) This might be a little controversial, but I find Christianity really easy. It's really easy. If I just follow what God says, it's really easy. You know where it gets complicated? If I don't follow what he says. And I try and do it on my own. There's a story in the Bible where the disciples are straining at the oars of the boat. A bit like your Olympic rowers winning gold again while Australia gets second. But anyway, let's move on. I've dealt with that. No, I haven't. <laughs> and uh, they're, 
they're striving. The storms come and hit them and their boat is battered. And as they strain, all their energy and strength is being used up and they aren't getting anywhere. All of a sudden, Jesus comes into the picture. Jesus comes into the boat. And at that point, the storm dies down and they get to row easily and they get to the other side. Do you know, that's a picture for me of what faith is. While I try and do this thing called Christianity on my own and lean on my own understanding and my own strength and, and think I've got the right reasoning and the right, you know, now don't get me wrong, we've got to research and do our study and learn, but at the end of the day, it's got to be total, total trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Total trust. Because when he's in your boat, I'll tell you what, it's easy. And you get to your destination. Amen? I haven't even started preaching yet and I'm excited. Hey, listen, uh, just, just on the prophetic thing there, what Julie was saying earlier as I was uh, sitting in my seat, um, sometimes the Lord gives me visions and they're kind of a bit strange. But um, as I was yesterday, you know, I got to, well, start a game of cricket, uh, play for a local club. And uh, um, we were about three overs into the game and, and then the heavens tipped down. I heard you had a lot of rain here. Yeah, we had a lot of rain in Birmingham too. And the heavens just opened up. So we went into the sheds and waiting for the rain to stop. Unfortunately, it didn't, so the game was abandoned. We went home. But as I was just standing there this morning, I, just in worship, I felt the Holy Spirit say this. There are some people that have gone into the sheds of the call of God on your life, but the rain has stopped, the sun is out, it's time to get back in the game. And as I stood there and I said, that's a bit strange, God. Like, that's just, a, you know, you're using my game of cricket for prophetic here. But then Julie brings that word, it says, don't hide, get back in the game. All right? So I just, I just really want to release you this morning. Maybe, maybe you just feel like you've been holding back from God you've, for whatever reason, but there is a call of God on your life. And the call of God wants to be released. And I believe God works in seasons. And I believe that as you enter in this next season as a church, September, I, I believe with all my heart to sense it here this morning that there is going to be a release of the call of God and the release of ministry in this house. And uh, just embrace all that God's got for you in this next season. Even I don't know, I don't even know what that secret is. All right, next week, whatever Christian's going to share, shh, secret next week. But I tell you what, just go and get behind the leadership and just say, "Come on, let's change the world." All right, Amen. Amen. Are you with me? Hey, open your Bibles this morning because it's good to use your Bible in church, isn't it? Who's read their Bible this morning? Three people, awesome, fantastic. Uh, I love my Bible. I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. Uh, this morning, I want to preach a message, although we'll kind of go all over the shop, but I want to preach a message called God's Best. Everyone say God's Best. Come on, say it with some passion. God's Best. You know, I'm sure if we went round the room here this morning, that every person here would say, I want God's best for my life. Uh, whether that's in the area of your marriage, I want God's best for my marriage. Uh, if you are single here this morning, please hear me. You do not want to stuff this decision up. You want God's best for your life partner. You want God's best for your husband or your wife. Marriage can be either heaven on earth or hell on earth. All right. I choose heaven. All right. You want God's best for your partner. In your finances, you want God's best. In your ministry and what God's called you to do, you want God's best. 
And I'm sure we would all agree, yes, that we want God's best. And I've found in my life that there is a journey of faith. If we live in faith, we will get God's best. It's when we live in doubt and fear and anxiety and worry and we kind of step back from faith, that's when we don't always get God's best. And so this morning I want to share a message called God's Best. And what I want to do, I want to share a message from Genesis 24. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones or whatever else you might use, um, then Genesis 24. And it's a story, actually, it's a love story. Everyone go, ooh. If you're married in here, just give your partner a quick kiss on the cheek right now. Oh, there we go. There's a bit of romance flying around this morning. All right, steady, steady on. You're trying to go, you know, just stick with a peck on the... Anyway, it's a love story. But also what I want to entwine in this is, uh, is, I guess, part of our story about how we got to be in England. One of the things that we get asked very regularly... Uh, it's funny, we've lived here for three years now, but I'll go down the corner shop to get some bread and milk and I'll go to the person at the register and I'll hand over the bread and milk and they'll go, oh, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I, I, actually, I just live around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, are you on holidays? <laughs> uh, no, no, I live around the corner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I first arrived, uh, this particular morning, it was, uh, you know, I had my big winter coat on and I just had a haircut, so I was looking pretty smooth. And uh, I went into um, the great English establishment of Greg's. <laughs> Good old steak bake. And uh, I went into Greg's and I asked for my steak bake and uh, just after having a haircut and looking quite smooth, quite attractive. And, uh, <laughs> and this lady leans across and she goes, are you from Neighbours? <laughs> Normally, I'm quite sharp and I would have played that for all it was worth, but I was just so thrown by it, I just went, uh, no. <laughs> and then I'm driving thinking, if I was on Neighbours, would I be at a Greg's in the back streets of Birmingham? <laughs> but anyway, but one of the things I get asked a lot is, what are you doing here? Nearly all the time, I get asked. Now, I love England. In fact, I think I love England more than some Brits. I, I, even just driving here today, the, the sat-nav took me to some, um, where was it? Sandy Acre. And anyone from Sandy Acre? Hey, Sandy Acre! Come on, represented! And uh, we, I'm driving through these, I, I, I kind of, no, I, I did, no, all right, I broke the speed limit a little. And I'm driving through these little corner streets, these brick walls, these old buildings, it's beautiful. You don't get in that Australia, we're only 200 years old. But just beautiful country, and we've been to Stonehenge, we've stood on the Meridian Line, yeah, East, West, Hemisphere, all that stuff. We've, you know, been to Edinburgh, done the Hogmanay Torch, and yeah, New Year, we've just, we're doing everything. But I love your country, I love England. And, uh, you know, but most people will still say, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I turn around and say, it's because of the weather. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and they go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I want to share a little bit of that story today. And uh, one of the things that I, I've mentioned before is, is this little machine, uh, Tom Tom, who's got a Tommy, who's got a cheaper version, Benetone. 
who's got, an, who's got a better version than Tom Tom. I don't even know what the step up of Tom Tom is. But this little unit has absolutely saved my life many times. Maybe not my life, but certainly saved me time. And uh, obviously, if you have one of these, everyone have one of these? All right, well, just for the sake of those that don't, basically, you turn it on, you punch in the postcode or the address that you want to go to, it maps out the route that it wants to get you, that, to, get you to that destination. It gives you options of tolls or not tolls, um, main roads or back roads, and, and basically, it will get you to your destination if you follow what it says. And uh, here's the thing I love about the TomTom. It tells you which way, the, the, it, it will tell you what the next turn is. It won't give you the 70 turns you've got to take to get to your destination. It'll just give you the next one. And if you follow the next one, then it'll give you the next one. And eventually those 70 turns will get you to your destination. But if you stay, if you stay stationary waiting for the 70 turns, you'll never go anywhere. I've found that the sat-nav only works when I'm moving. The illustration this morning is it's like that with faith. God knows your journey from start to finish. He knows exactly where he wants you to end up, but he's looking for you to trust him with the next turn. He's looking for you just to turn, tune your ear in because faith comes by. And as you tune your ear in to listen to what the next turn is, Then, as you take that turn, he will show you the next one. I have found this principle of faith time and time again in my life. God will only give you more when you use what he's given you. Matthew 25, parable of the talents. God gives talents to those and those people that used it, he then doubled and gave them more. Why? Because he could trust the person with what he was given. See, God has given you time. He's given you treasure. He's given you talents. He's given you this short life. The Bible says it's like a vapor. We just have a short life and what we choose to do with it will determine whether God gives us more with our lives. And it's a principle of faith. As we trust him in one step, he will show you the next. What did he say to Abraham? Go to a land I will show you. Did he tell him where it was? Oh, but God, come on. Give me the 50-point plan. I want to know it all. Sorry, if you have that personality type, you're not going to go well with Jesus. (laughs) He he just wants you to go, God, give me the next step. God, tell me what to do today. Tell me what to do now. And as you step out in obedience on that step, he'll show you the next one. You with me this morning? That's how God works. And certainly that's what we found in our lives. We've had an amazing journey the last three years, but I want to just talk a little bit about how we got here because that's the big question we get asked all the time. What are you doing here? And certainly that was our journey. As we were just faithful with one thing, then he gave us the next thing. And so we were were associate pastors in Australia. We were running an organization called Youth Alive for our area. I was chaplain to a rugby league team, which was just the best job in the world. But anyway, uh, and then... So everything's going great. We, uh, my wife and I took a team from our main campus, a bit like you do at Mansfield, and we planted a second campus, and that had grown quite quickly, and everything was going fine. But then one day, we feel the Holy Spirit just say, your time's up. Nine and a half years I'd been on staff with my senior pastor. Your season's up. It's time to go. And I, was, I guess I was a bit like Abraham. I'm like, uh, Where? <laughs> Can you be a little bit more specific, God? 
And he didn't give me anything. It was just your time's up, your season's over, it's time to go. And so I'm like, well, God, okay. So I went and spoke to my senior pastor and he pretty much wasn't real happy. He said, well, what does that mean? And I said, I don't know. I just know we've got to get prepared to go. And so as we processed that, the next step was as we prepared to go, then God stirred our heart for England. You can get a bit excited about your country. <laughs> stirred our hearts for England. Yay! Gold medal cycling. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so there we were. And just, just this burden for this nation. I, I, don't, I can't really explain it, but it was almost like our hearts went from where we were to here, it was almost like we didn't belong where we were anymore. This is where we belonged, even though I'd never even been here. Paid 260 Australian dollars. Uh, they saw my father's birth certificate and next thing I was a British citizen. Even though I'd never even been in the country. <laughs> and uh, they let anyone in. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> that was not a political immigration <laughs> comment right there. That was in reference to me on the tape <laughs> Arena Church does not have a stand on him <laughs> it was me anyway uh, so so here we are kind of go well where do we go where do, where do we end up where, what happened so we printed off a map printed off a map of England and we just went no <laughs> and so I'll leave you with that story but let's read Genesis 24 the love story remember the love story I was telling you about man far out we only have a short amount of time. Are you up for it this morning? Yeah. You ready for the Word of God? Yeah. You ready to be challenged? Yeah. Ready to be stirred? Yeah. Ready to be changed? Yeah. Oh, you're an awesome audience. You guys are fantastic. I love this church. If I lived in Ilkeston, I'd come here. <laughs> I would. Especially Phil. Isn't Phil awesome? Yeah. I love Phil. We call him Phenomenal Phil. Yeah. On the count of three... On the count of three, I want us all to go phenomenal, Phil. Ready? One, two, three. Phenomenal, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so now for the sake of time, I might just rush through this a little bit. But basically, here's the story Abraham. Everyone know who Abraham is? He is like the father of the faith. God comes and says to him, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. You are going to be the father of my people. The only problem is he couldn't have kids. So here's Abraham and uh, he goes on a journey of faith himself. In fact, in Romans, it says that Abraham did not waver in unbelief. Remember, you, only, you either live in faith or you live in unbelief. All right. And so Abraham didn't waver in unbelief. He believed that God could do what he said he could do. He believed he was... He was uh, he was totally persuaded that God would do what he said. And so he stood in faith and said, I know even though I can't have kids, even though it looks like I'm as good as dead, even though it looks like all the circumstances are stacked against me, I believe God will do what he says. And so he ends up having a child. And so starts the journey of what becomes Israel and God's people. And so there's Abraham and Abraham has his son Isaac, but Isaac needs a wife for this promise to happen. They need more children. And so he sends a servant 
off because they were in a land that wasn't their home in Canaan. He sends a servant back to the land of Canaan to find a wife for his son. Everyone with the picture so far? So he's given the servant these instructions. Go and get, this is Genesis 24, go back to my country of my relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Verse 5, the servant asked, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? That's that's a bit hard to believe, a woman being unwilling to follow instructions. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it says it right here in the Bible, don't shoot me. What if the willing is, uh, woman is unwilling, the unwilling woman? What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from? Abraham says, make sure, you do, make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household of my native land, who spoke to me and promised, come on now, faith is all about believing the promises, believing that God will do what he says. He promised me on an oath, saying to your offspring, I'll give you this land. He will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you are released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under his thigh. Little odd. Don't understand that one. If you want to do that, you can do that. Put your hand under people's thighs. You may get locked up. But anyway, he put, he put his hand under his thigh and his master and he swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and left taking with him all kinds of goods for his master. He set out for Aram, Naharim, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near a well outside to drink. Verse 12, then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar and may I drink, And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one. God's best. God's best. Let her be the one. I don't want second best. I don't want third best. I want God's best. I want God's choice for my life. And so he says, let her be the one. Let her be the one you have chosen for my servant Isaac. By this I'll know that you have shown kindness to my master. Verse 15, before he had finished praying. Before he had finished praying. Now, sometimes miracles happen that quick. Other times they take time because God is perfect in his timing. Amen? But before he had finished praying, basically Rebecca comes out and she brings her jars. She sees the servant there and the camels and she says, can I give you a drink? And can I give your camels a drink? And so she does what the servant prayed. The servant is blown away. He falls to his knees, the Bible says, and he praises God and he says, thank you, God, for you have answered the prayer of my master Abraham. He says to the girl, take me back to your uh, family. The family is Abraham's family. It's his his, uh, brother, which is Laban. And basically, from that point on, The servant tells the story to Laban and says, this is what happened. My master said this, I've come out, I prayed this, and she came out. It's amazing, it's faith building, it's a great miracle. And then he says these words, tell me, in verse 49, tell me which way to turn. Are you going to believe that God is in this and let me have this girl and take back to my master, or are you not? 
tell me which way to turn. It's a bit like the sat-nav. God, tell me which way to turn in this circumstance. In every decision we have to make, tell me which way to turn, God. And so here is the servant faced with his decision. Laban turns around and says, God is in this. You can have my daughter. It finishes up in the story. I love it. In verse uh, 64, Rebecca looked down and saw Isaac. She got off her camel and she asked the servant, who is that man? He's almost as attractive as Kirk McAteer. (laughs) I am joking, all right. He he is my master, the servant. So he, he took her veil off her face. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. Oh, what a great story. A love story in the Bible of Isaac and Rebecca getting together. But it's so much more than just a love story. It's a great story of faith, a great story of the servant's faith. And in the time I have remaining this morning, I just want to give you three keys that this servant did that can allow allowed faith to rise in his heart but also can allow faith to rise in your heart amen and this is an amazing story an amazing story of faith and we hit, we start off with the story where the servant abraham says to the servant go and get a wife for my son in verse 5 though he says what if what if she doesn't come back with me here's the thing i've found about faith you either, you either live in the ifs of what God says and the promises of what God says, or you live in the ifs of doubt. Are you with me this morning? What if? What if she doesn't come back? What if it doesn't work out? And you know, the challenge for you and I, and I face it every day, is am I going to live in the what ifs of my thinking? The what ifs of what the world says? The what ifs of maybe even what your friends and family say? the what-ifs of anything else other than God's Word, what He's either written to you or spoken to you. And it's going to be different for each of us, all right? And so if He says something to you, you've got to believe it. And you've got to, what's the definition of faith? Believing that God can do what He says. And if we live in that place, then we will live in the breakthrough realm of faith that isn't something weird, it's actually normal. But the challenge is there are so many what-ifs. Particularly in right now in our culture, your political correctness, all the stuff, we are bombarded with negativity and doubts. And the challenge for you is not to live to what-ifs, but to rise up in faith about what God says. Amen? When, we, when God stirred our hearts for the UK, we had a lot of what-ifs. Let me just go through some of these what-ifs uh, this morning. One of them was we both resigned from our positions. With the, I was working with the church. My, my wife was a teacher, uh, Tracy. She's the most beautiful woman on the planet. Uh, and my children, 12 and 9, amazing. And so we resigned from our jobs. Friends of mine, I'm sure they meant it in kind heart. They said, you're committing ministry suicide. <laughs> Why would you do that? Because we didn't have a job to go to. But we just stepped out in faith. The next day, across the front of the page, global financial crisis hits. This is August 2008, September 2008. Do not leave your jobs. <laughs> front page of the newspaper. Nope. <laughs> Too late. So we resigned. 
just as the global financial crisis hit and we had no job to go to. I had no job to go to in the six months between when I resigned from the church and us moving to England. Uh, At that time, we didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm thinking, God, you need to come through for us because who's going to employ someone that is planning on getting out of the country in six months? Uh, Yeah, uh, I've got all the skills. I've got all the, I tick all the uh, job requirements. Oh, by the way, I'm leaving in six months. I don't think I was going to get a job that easy. That was a what if. We had to sell everything we owned. Car, house, everything. One of the saddest days was when we had a garage sale. I'm not sure what you call it, car boot sale. We, we had big blocks of land there, so you put all your stuff out in the garage and the weather's good, so it's not normally rained out. And people just rock up at like 6 a.m. and start buying your stuff. And I remember my little girl having to sell her dollhouse. My little six-year-old girl put her dollhouse up. And this little girl and her dad came and took it and took it away. You know, it's actually quite a healthy place when you sell every possession you own. Because possessions can really grab a hold of us, amen? And so we sold everything. Financially, how's it going to happen? It was going to cost us 10,000 pounds to move. And the church over here wasn't in, in that good a state at the time, so they weren't going to assist us with anything. They couldn't. And so it was going to cost us 10,000 pounds to move. The Australian dollar plummeted. So whatever savings we had, halved. <laughs> because of the a lot of what-ifs, what aren't they? What about my kids? How are they going to cope with school, friends, and the future? Leaving our family, leaving our friends. Many people told us, oh, the UK is very hard. Very hard in the UK. The church, it's tough, it's dead. It's, oh, tell you what, the church is not dead in the UK. It's alive and kicking and growing and increasing, amen? And if that's not enough, the swine flu broke out at the same time. <laughs> so people run around with masks and everything on and, you know, don't travel, swine flu, all that. There's a lot of what ifs, isn't it? See, for you and I every day, we've got a choice. Are you going to live in the what ifs? You could make a list as long as your arm about what ifs to not do something, to not follow the call of God for your life. But I tell you what, don't live in the what ifs. Live in what God says for your life. Don't live in anything else exactly what God says. You know what? The circumstances is, but this is what God said. You know, I know all those what ifs, but God said you're called to England. God said you're called to England. And that's what I'm going to stand on. The call of God. Do you know nearly every single one of those what-ifs turned around? Every single one. I turned up for a job interview for a job to look after a child who had autism and I would do three shifts a week and and look after this child, basically a care job. And I'm thinking, God, how am I going to do this in the interview? She's going to ask, what are are your plans? I'm going to say, I can't lie. Anyway, so I sit down and she goes, oh, Kirk McAteer. Oh, I, I know you. I said, oh, really? She goes, oh, you run Youth Alive, don't you? I said, oh, I do. Oh, well, I did, yeah. I'm, I'm transitioning that role right now. And she goes, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to so-and-so church. She goes, I've heard all about your great work. What are you doing? I said, well, we've resigned and we're hoping to become senior pastors of a church. So I was honest. I didn't say where. And she goes, Kirk, that's fantastic. Listen, bang, approved. Let's get you in working. You just let me know when you're going to finish. <laughs> Come on you know the money side of things our neighbors knocked on the door what are you doing with your car oh i don't know look we've been so busy with everything and uh you know i'm not sure we need to sell it but oh look you just drive it up until you when you want it my 18 year old son needs a car how much do you want for it well you know and it's equivalent of about five thousand uh pounds it was worth and 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 but we knew we'd probably only get about four maybe three and a half four so i said look 
5,000 pounds is what we really like. Oh, no worries. I'll just write a check. Here you go. I literally sold, uh, sold, signed the contracts of our house selling the Monday before we flew out on the Wednesday. Come on, church, don't live in the what-ifs. Don't you dare limit God in your lack of faith. Let's live believing that God can do everything he says. Because the moment we live in a what-if, God's hands are tied behind his back. He is all-powerful, he is almighty, and he can transform every circumstance you face. But we've got to believe. We've got to have faith. Faith unlocks that. Amen? My kids, one of the biggest things I remember having to do was just go, God, I understand as we step out and pursue the call of God for our lives that my kids could end up anywhere in the world. And I had to almost release my kids to his purpose, even at that young age. And we turned up, uh, put them in school, and the first teacher that my son gets, you've got to get this, mate, God is awesome. You step out in faith, he'll come through a hundred times more than you ever imagined. My te- the teacher of my son is an Australian, but not just an Australian, an Australian from the city we were from, who did his practice teaching in the school that my son left. Don't tell me our God can't do all things. The first time it starts to snow, we've never seen snow before in our lives. Mr. Sparks, his name was. He goes, Josiah, have you seen snow before? He goes, no. Get out there, son. (laughs) Every other kid. (laughs) Man, God just came through on every what if that we had. Every single one. So you've got to believe that God's going to move on your behalf. Amen. So the first thing is, don't live in the what-ifs. Come on, if you're going to live a life of faith, don't live in the what-ifs. Second thing is, we see the servant here. The servant then, uh, I love what Abraham says to the servant here. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to make me uh, a great nation. He will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son. He will send an angel before you. Here's what you've got to believe if you're going to live in faith. That God is already going before you in every circumstance. He's already setting things up. You know what I believe? I believe, this isn't biblical, it's just my theory, but it's almost like a big chessboard. And God's going, okay, I need, I need, it was Francis, wasn't it? I need, oh, I need this little child healed. That hole in the heart is not good. I need someone with faith. Oh, there we go, Francis. Let's just connect that person up. Oh, there it is. It's like a chessboard. Okay. uh, All right. So here's here's how it works. On the flip side of our faith story, you've got a 63-year-old minister in Borsal Heath feeling like his season was up and looking to hand his church on. But he didn't want just anyone. He wanted God's best. Everyone say God's best. And so here I am, 12,000 miles, however far away, going, God, we don't know where you're sending us, but we want God's best. We want your best. We'll go anywhere for you, God. And here's a pastor in Borsley, Birmingham, of all places. And he's going, God, I want your best. God goes, all right. Young couple, passionate for the call of God, called to England, senior minister, 63-year-old, church needs a bit of refreshing that awesome? 
You can't tell me God doesn't go before you in every circumstance. If we live a life of faith, he will go before you. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites moved out, every single time God would go before them and sometimes set ambushes and bring victories and defeat armies before they even got there. How awesome is that? Wake up tomorrow morning going, God, before I even get to this circumstance, you've won the victory. You've brought the breakthrough already. I'm going to just walk into it. Come on now. That's what God does. It's how he works. The ser- Abraham says to the servant, an angel will go before you. I challenge you tomorrow, wake up. Maybe it's a bank holiday, you might have a lion. <laughs> Tuesday, when you wake up to go to work, just go, God, I believe you are going before me in every circumstance I'm going to face today and you are going to bring breakthrough. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to live in the what ifs. I'm going to live in faith and believe you can do all you say you can do. Amen. Hey, I need to wrap up. Final thought. The servant prayed. Verse 12, it says he prayed. He prayed quite specifically, didn't he? He said, the first woman that comes out and waters me, gives me a drink and drink, give, drink to my camels, let her be the one, God's best. Let her be the one. And I read that and I thought, my goodness, what are the chances of that? But it happened. He prayed specifically. Third thing. First thing is don't live in the what ifs. Second thing is that you've got to believe that God's going before you. And the third thing is pray specifically. Do you know faith and prayer are interlinked? I read a comment recently. A lack of faith comes from prayerlessness. All right? If we're not praying, then we're actually not enabling God to do his work. And so I want to challenge you specific prayer. Pray specifically in every circumstance. The more specific you are, the more God can answer your prayer. Amen? If I just, if I just put... Oh, it's stuck to the thing there. If I just punched in here Ilkeston, I could end up anywhere in the town. But because I put in exactly the postcode and the address of the church, right to the gate, baby. The more specific you can be, the more God can then act on your behalf. So rewind back to our story. We print off the map of England. We sense Birmingham. Google Birmingham, second largest city in the UK. Yeah, that could do with a good church. That could do with a real soul-winning church. And so... We got this heart for Birmingham. And I wrote in my journal, God, a church of around 200. Because the first time seeing your pastors, we knew a church any bigger than that, we probably wouldn't cope with because we needed to grow in our own call. And so we prayed for a church around 200 and a senior pastor retiring. Because we figured we'd go into a church that was in change, but we wanted to go into a church that was in good change, not bad change. So that was our specific prayer. A church of 200, senior pastor retiring in Birmingham. October 1st, 2008, I'm speaking at a conference and they have a little VIP room where you get coffee and stuff and they're very nice to you. And uh, I went in there and the, the big guest speaker was in there. His name was Steve Penny. And I, I, I was a bit nervous, but I thought I'm going to just go and say hello. Hi, Steve, how you going? I'm Kirk. Great to meet you. He goes, oh, where are you from, Kirk? And I said, well, I'm, I've just resigned. I'm, I'm in Newcastle. We've got a heart for the UK. He turns to me and he says, oh, Oh, that's interesting. I know of a church for you. And I said, oh, all right, where? He said, Birmingham. Church of about 200. Senior pastor looking to hand it on. 
I was like that for about five minutes. I called my wife over. She thought I'd teed him up to have a joke with with her. I remember going back to my hotel that night and I looked out my window over the city of where we were and I said, God, surely, surely it can't be that easy. We hadn't even started looking. I don't just print it off the map. Now, it wasn't quite that easy. There was hurdles and other churches were interested and Birmingham wasn't the best. It didn't look like the best, but we knew in our hearts that God had done something amazing. And as in the, in the challenges of work, working out where we're going to go, there was Scotland and a few other places interested. And, and I'm just going, God. And January 9, because I kept a journal, I remember reading this story. I do Bible in a year, every year, because I love my Bible. Can't get enough of my spiritual food. And January 9 was Genesis 24. And I read that story and I'm going, God, you've got to show us which way to turn here. And I read this story and I'm going, no way. What are the chances of that woman coming out and giving drink to that camel? What are the chances? He prayed that specifically. What are the chances of that happening? It's too easy. And I felt the Holy Spirit say Birmingham was too easy. And I read the rest of the story and it gets to this verse, so I may know which way to turn. God, show me which, what's the next turn. And I just prayed that prayer. God, show me which way to turn. The next day we get an email from Birmingham saying, we believe, we prayed and fasted, we believe you are God's best for our church. Please come back for another two weeks. We'll do formal interviews, whatever that is. And at the end of that two weeks, if you're happy, we're happy, we'll go for it. Did that in February and they offered us the job and we accepted the job in March. We're here June 2009. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Yeah, God's awesome. Thank you, God. Hey, listen, why don't you stand? I know I've gone a little bit long this morning. I apologize about that. Uh, there's nothing you can really do about that because I've got the microphone and you've got to sit there and listen until Phil says you can go. So, and you've got to love me anyway. So the Bible says you've got to forgive me. So even if you do have offense at me going a bit long this morning, you've got to love me anyway. So I received that forgiveness. <laughs> don't you love God? Just close your eyes this morning. I struggle a little bit telling this story because it is a lot about me and I don't like talking about me because I want to give all the glory to him. And it is all about him. I struggle telling that story a little bit because it sounds so fairy tale and so amazing how it's all worked out and it is. But let me tell you, every day a life of faith is a little bit scary and a little bit exciting. I call it happy scared. And the reality is, While that story is quite amazing and reflecting on it is amazing, the truth is that's every day for you and I, we face the same challenge. To not live in the what-ifs, to live by what God says about you and for you, His promises in His Word, that's why you've got to get in your Bible so you can hear the Word of God. Be at church to hear the Word of God. Get in connect groups to hear the Word of God. Believe that God is going before you in every circumstances. Goodness and mercy follow you, amen? You are highly favored. You are blessed. You are precious. He loves you. And then finally, just pray specifically. They don't have to be any prayers that sound nice. They just have to be from the heart saying, God, this is what I would like. I'd like to see you do this in my life. And you watch what God will do. Holy Spirit.